0: Father, uh, what a joy and a privilege it is to be here with this family, Uh, Lord, and it is a family. And just thank you so much for Neil and Jen and their hearts, Uh, Lord, just thank you for just being able to shepherd this incredible group of folks. And today, Lord, we're here because you want to make a deposit in our heart, and Lord, it may be something that is something we need right now, or it may be something we're going to need down the road, but whatever it is... We're asking you to continue to grow us up, because Lord, if you don't grow us up, we can't grow out and certainly grow deep. So I just thank you for what you're going to do today, and uh, just here excited to hear what you're going to say. Uh, and Lord, we just uh, thank you and praise you that not only did you go to the cross, but you put your life in us to live a life we cannot live. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Okay, um, I'm going to go back over. Who is anybody new from yesterday? Raise your hand. Oh God! <laughs> okay, that's all right. All right. Now, what it, let me just see that. Yeah. Well, you know, in some churches I go to, they they really do pass those out. You know, and how are you doing? I'm fine. I'm fine. It's the I'm fine Mass. So, okay, Neil, I'll remember that. <laughs> this is not your idea, right? I'm sure Jen had nothing to do with it. Uh, who? Oh, Mike. Oh. Mike. All right. I will be calling on you shortly. I want some answers. Okay. Uh, so, is there, I don't, I couldn't see any hands. Everybody was here yesterday? Oh, okay. All right. Okay, good. Uh, So our series is Grow Up, Grow Out, Grow Deep. Remember what we talked about yesterday? We're called to grow into Christ-likeness and experience our true identity in order to live life for others and experience a deeper relationship with God. So this is a new four-part series. Wanted to make sure you got the overview. We talked about yesterday growing into Christ-likeness. That's what we spent our whole time. Uh, We didn't really go into our identity, but today we're going to talk about living life for others. I just finished book three. Uh, I'm going to go home and start teaching it on Wednesday. I I call my church the guinea pigs. You know, we're going to just test drive it on them. If they don't like it, we'll pitch it and then start over. Okay. And then also, this is the first hour is going to be living life for others. The second, by the way, what time do you want me actually finished in this first hour? till. Okay. All right. Book four is experiencing a deeper relationship with God. So, if, uh, if you're a reader, this book, this is what we're going to talk about now. Uh, did everybody get the growing up, growing out, growing deep? That's the overview. But it, this is based on three books. One is called Eyes to See. In other words, we'll talk about that as well. Free to Love. And then the last one is Conquering Your Six Square Feet. So uh, if you want to go a little bit more in depth, <clears throat> uh, these are some booklets that you can take with you. By the way, I don't plan on taking any of those back home. Did you hear me? Because I don't want them sitting on my shelf collecting dust. <clears throat> Amen? Okay? So please. And, and really think about, I think, even Maureen was uh, using them. You got some for somebody else, didn't you, Maureen? So think about, because this is what we're going to be talking about, is growing out. So let's <clears throat> look at this. Depending on Christ, to live His life through you, to spiritually impact everyone who is in your life or will come into your life. That's growing out. We see in 2 Timothy 2.2, the things which you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So what is growing out? Well, growing out is simply the overflow of growing into Christ-likeness and experiencing your true identity. If we don't grow up, we will never grow out. Can I say that again? If we do not grow up, we will never grow out. And, I, and I'll point out to you why. But do you remember this list yesterday of Christ likeness? This is what, this is, as we're being formed into the image of Christ, conforming the image of God, <clears throat> formed in the Christ likeness, these are some characteristics. But what I did is I highlighted some that if I'm ministering to others, I think they're really important. Unconditional love, we're going to talk about that today. If somebody's hurting, they want to experience Christ's compassion through you, it's certainly an attitude of selflessness. And then if you're walking in freedom, can they now, through you, Christ wants to set the captives free, and then, of course, humility. So are there any others up there that you think would be vital as far as ministering, reaching out, being available to others? Just shout them out. Kindness, okay? All right, kindness. Kindness. Rest. Okay, who said that? Okay, and why would you say that? Rest. So many Christians <laughs> are Yep. Okay. So you could just be that living hammock. Right Or maybe the hammock's Jesus in you, but you can be the inviter. and I'm inviting you into the hammock of rest. That's good, Eric. A lot of anxiety. Anybody else? Something jump out at you. Forgiveness, okay? I mean, that's a big one, right? Especially if we're struggling in that area. So the bottom line is is that we grow into Christ-likeness. We will grow out. So Here's something I want you to think about. I want to see if you agree with this. To the extent you are selfless will determine the extent you will live for others. There's a direct correlation between selflessness and living for others. Now, my pastor, um, in fact, he pray for him. He and his wife are really sick. They don't have COVID, but another guy had to pinch hit for him this morning. But he, he, I love this expression. He says, as you grow in Christ, you will leak him out to others. Okay, and that's what his famous phrase is, let's leak it out. You know, we're not supposed to hide this light under a bus. or we're supposed to get on a rooftop, right? So what I want to start with is this concept of that you have six square feet. Every one of us has six square feet. And let me just tell you what this, how this came about. Uh, I was remembering a sermon 40 years ago, which had to be the Holy Spirit because I couldn't remember a sermon once I got out in the parking lot, okay? Sorry, Neil. Uh, Neil, I wouldn't do that to you. I'm sure I'd remember it. But this one was 40 years ago, and the, and the title of the sermon was "State." And "State" is a Latin word for six square feet. And it's how the Romans conquered the world. They convinced every Roman soldier to defend six square feet, and they depended on the soldier left, right, front, and back to do the same so it was not, not winning a battle, it was simply conquering their six square feet. And what happened? They conquered the world, didn't they? So guess what? You have six square feet, but let me define what it means for you is that anyone the Lord brings into your life so that through you He can accomplish His divine will and purposes. Let me read that again. Anyone the Lord brings in your life today may be a family member, may be a perfect stranger, so that through you he can accomplish his divine will and purposes. So you may be asking, he's given me six square feet, but you may be asking this, why me? Right? Why me? What are you going to use for me? Well, there are three reasons, at least. One is your value to God. We'll break this down. Second is your value to Christ to build his church, and then your value to the one. You see what our problem is, folks? We do not know our inestimable value to God. Why? Why, don't we? Come on, I need some feedback. Insecurities, right? Okay, what else? Brian, you got any thoughts on this one? Okay, okay. Okay, what's the converse of that? One is overestimating ourselves. What's the other one? Underestimating, living in self-condemnation, unworthiness, right? But think about this. He says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. That's God who said that. That's God who did that. Our problem is we're unbelieving believers like we talked about yesterday. For we are God's masterpiece. In Ephesians 2.10, workmanship is translated masterpiece. My friends, I would, I'd like to camp on this for about two weeks. Because you, first of all, also are a new creation. And we'll talk about this. But here's the second reason. Jesus values you so much, He wants to build His church through you. I want you to think about this verse for just a second going back to... Ephesians 2.10, For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. So let me just define a good work as any work that that originates from God and is done by Him through you. Now here's the thing I want you to understand. These works are created for you, Eric, and nobody else. These works are created for you, Martha, and nobody else. These works that God has prepared. Are you, are you listening to me, folks, right now? This is important. I'm gonna come at you since you're sitting in the back. I'm just gonna, I love this. I just get to walk out. Oh, you're sitting in the middle? I wasn't, I wasn't even talking about you. I was just, I, I'm, just I, I'm free to roam, man. I can find you wherever you are in the church, right? I love that. Think about this. Works that God has prepared for me and no one else. Okay, I hope you hear the Spirit on that one. And we're going to talk about this as well, but how about this one, your value to the one. I don't think I told this story last time, but there's a guy named Mike Wells. Uh, He has a ministry called Abiding Life Ministries. He's with the Lord now. But he was the Indiana Jones of Christ's life. Man, this guy would go all over the world and share life in Christ. And uh, this story about the one, I hope you never forget it. I never will, and neither did Mike. Mike was over in Indonesia, and he was ministering uh, life over there to a number of churches. He goes over to one part of the world. every—about He'd every, come go for three months, come back, and then go back over to another part. Just gotten back from Indonesia. He's typically very exhausted. This guy just poured himself all out. And so he was looking forward to some rest before he had to recoup and go on his next trip. And when he gets back, he gets a call. And it's from one of the pastors who was in Indonesia that he didn't have time to meet with. And the pastor just said, no, you've got to come back. We, we, I mean, we're, we're going to have a big conference. We'll have hundreds of people, and we want you to come back. Of course, you'd have to know Mike, but he said, well, I'll pray about it, which means there's no way in heck I'm coming. I'm just going to give you the Christian answer. You know? He puts the phone down, and the Holy Spirit says this, you're going. When I hear again, you'd have to know Mike, because Mike said, well, Lord, you know the airline. I mean, it's a round-trip ticket. It's $1,671. He said, yeah, it's my money. He said, well, you know, I'm just, I'm just totally exhausted. I'm totally wasted. I'm your strength. Get on the plane and go. Well, Mike was not happy. He just wasn't happy about it. He's, he's just grumpy all the way over. You know, he finally settles down. He gets there the night before the conference. The next day, he thinks, "Okay, well, great. There'll be hundreds of people. This will be a, you know, be worth my time." Well, he shows up the next day, and two people show up to the conference: the pastor and the one. And let me tell you about the one. This lady was saved, but she had some physical birth defects, you know, and her face was just not like would be normal, somewhat disfigured. <clears throat> and she, even though she knew about life in Christ, she didn't see herself in her true identity. In other words, she would just look in the mirror and say, "I'm less than." And so what God did through Mike that whole day was pour life and truth into her, in love. And it was like a road to Damascus experience for this woman who was completely set free. I mean, it truly was. He said, I've never seen a work of the Spirit like this in somebody's heart to so convince them it's not the outside, it's the heart. And so he gets back on the plane... He said, I wasn't in the air, but just a few minutes, and this is what the Lord said. I said, Mike, <clears throat> you don't understand the value of the one, but I love that woman enough, I would take you halfway around the world for that one person. Don't you ever forget it. Whether ten or hundred. So today, guess what I'm here for? The one. Now, there may be a room full of ones, but I tell you what, there's one of you. The Spirit of God is moving deeply in your heart. But guess what? Your value, if God brings that one into your life, will you be willing? Will you be available? We'll talk about that. So this is why. But just what does God want to accomplish through you? Well, look at John fourteen twelve. It says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that, he, that I do, he will do also, and look at this, greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. We're talking about you. Greater works than his. Now, I don't know, and here's, here's the Bill Loveless version of that. When Jesus was here, most of his works were healing, were they not? They were external, having to do with the body. And yet, what he's saying is, through you, I want to transform lives and destinies. So these are some of the things. He wants to move someone through you from being unsaved to saved. Through you, through that power, move them from unbelief to belief, from false beliefs to the truth, from woundedness to healing, from fleshly behaviors to Christ-likeness. Through you. And guess what? He will change destinies. Do you remember? It only took 18 words for my destiny to be changed forever. For me to be here today, it only took 18 words. God never intended for you to live the life that only Christ could live in and through you. You see, that's what it's all about. Not only that, He wants to change our culture through you. Right? We were supposed to be invading the culture, and what's the culture done? It's invaded the church and we're toxic. But guess what? You God wants to use you to change the culture. So what are some of the reasons that hinder us from living life for others? I said, well, I think you could agree with this one. If we're not grown up, if we stay spiritual two-year-olds, we'll never. How about this one though? This is a big one. Fear of rejection. What would people say if I shared the Gospel? What would people say if I stood up for the truth? Fear of rejection. Here's another one, just inadequacy. Well, you know, I haven't been to Bible school. I haven't been to seminary. I don't have a ministry. I don't have PowerPoint. I don't have it in the book. Right? So, out of inadequacy, we choose not to minister. And then self protection. See, if you've been wounded, and we don't want to, you know, what we do is we build up these walls of self protection so we will not get hurt again. We will not get wounded again. And so, if we live, and I think we all, to some degree, live in self protection. And let me tell you something to the extent you're not experiencing your true identity, is to the extent you're living in self protection. Now, I don't have time to unpack this, but I'm going to share one thing. <clears throat> the self that we're protecting, let me tell you, let me give you a word, it has been crucified. Romans 6.6, 6, for this old self, Brian, is and what do we do? <clears throat> we wrap our arms around this old self, trying to protect it. It's been crucified. You've got a new self, don't you? Come on, folks, let's get excited about this new self. I'm looking at some new creations here. I want, you to be, I want you to be excited about that because does that self need to be protected, Eric? No. That self needs to be expressed. So see, what you. What we've got to do is ask ourselves, to what extent am I self-protected? It's, it is direct proportion to what you believe about how your true identity and you're walking in it. You're new. That self has been crucified. There's no need to... to uh, Self-protect anymore, and then of course some people are just too self-absorbed. It's just too all about me, and uh, what's your problem? You know, this one I got married. I told you it was all about me, and Paige's problem was it wasn't all about me. All right, <clears throat> and how about this one? Well, we're just too busy, right? I mean, God's given me this six square feet, give me these works. I'm just simply too busy. These are some of the reasons why we choose not to minister in our six square feet. So I want to just turn the page for this for just a second. It says, what do you see when, you, when people come into your six square feet? Now guys, I'm about to go from preaching to meddling, right, from this point on. And yeah, I hope it hurts you as much as it hurt me. Let me tell you what, I wrote this book, and every time I would write something, I would feel this slap, Jen, and this other slap. And I mean, this stuff was just beating me up because it exposed how selfish I still am. But let me just, so I just wanted to give you a, a warning, all right, because you need to leave the room now, you can, all right? How about this one? When you see people, do you look past them as if they weren't even there? Do you look at them, but you don't see beyond their exterior or externals? Now, you know, <clears throat> I don't get out much, so when I go to an airport, I see very unusual people. I see people I just don't normally see in Bernie, Texas. And, of course, the further west you go, the more interesting they become, I've noticed, you know. I mean, it, I was in the in Denver Airport for a little bit, and then, you know, came into Orange County, and interesting people. Yeah, well, I see, yeah, um, yeah, thank you, Jesus, I didn't even go to L.A. Yeah, no telling. But, you know, my, my old self, old Bill, used to just judge people. Isn't that interesting, I'd, well, what they look like or whatever, you know, I'd sit there and judge them. How much did I know about them? Nothing! And I'm sitting there making all these evaluations and judgments about all these people. You see, we need to look beyond the exterior. And this is how God wants us to see people is in 3D. Because let me tell you something, if you're in Christ and you are, you have the supernatural eyes of Jesus to see others. I want, you, I want to take you back to 2 Kings 6.17. You remember the story? Elisha's servant, right? He couldn't see the chariots of fire. Right? So what did Elisha do? When Elisha prayed, he said, O oh Lord, open his eyes and what? Let him see. The Lord opened the young man's eyes and when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. He's given us eyes to see beyond the externals if you're willing to let Him see through you. Think about that. You can have the same eyes that Elisha's servant had because what he wants us to do is to see people in 3D. What does that mean? Well, do you know their family background? Do you know the internal struggles they're having, the relational struggles, the spiritual struggles, the adverse circumstances? I mean, what church do they belong to? What is their biblical background? You're sitting here making judgments and assessments and evaluations. Do you really know them? What's going on? What about their past woundedness? What about their fleshly behaviors that they're struggling with as a result of their past? Just some strongholds. See, folks, we've got to look at people like God sees them because what does He say? In 1 Samuel 16, 7, the Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the what? So, what does He see? When Jesus looks at your heart, what does He see? He sees our needs. He sees our desires. He sees our pain. He sees our self-protection. He sees our fears. The list could go on. And so when you look at people, what do you see? What do you see? Do you just <clears throat> looking at the externals? Or maybe you're just not happy with their behavior? Or can we go beyond it? <clears throat> he will give you eyes to see and need to desire the pain. How about this? Do you see <clears throat> the value of people like God values you? You see, it's hard for me to value you if I don't value me the same way God does. Do you know that you can do that? You can actually value yourself the same way God values you, but if you don't see it, how will you value others? Well, when you see this guy on the street, right? What's our tendency in the flesh when we see these guys? Help me here. Huh? Right, there you go. Okay. All right, move around them, all right? What else do we do with these folks? Starts with a J, huh? Okay, you wonder how they got there, all right? There's something else we do too. It starts with a J. Yeah, we just judge them, right? You see? (laughs) But how much does God value that guy? As much as He values We're going to talk about that in just a second, Martha. That's a good word. Hang on there just a second. That's exactly what we're going to do. Because when it comes to people, don't you have two choices? You're either going to judge them or love them. And so what God is in the process of doing in our life is for us to move past the curtain of our judgments of people. And what He wants us to see is this, their eternal value to God. You see, we put all these curtains up. We have no idea what's going on, but does it make any difference? What's going on in their lives? Because we are to see the same value that He sees. And then Martha, you just said potential. Can you see the spiritual potential in others? Let me just define that. Seeing spiritual potential is believing what God can accomplish to transform a person regardless of their IQ, their status in life, or the depth of their sins or failures. Could you put yourself in that? Can you see where God has seen the spiritual potential in you? In my darkest day, in my deepest, darkest day of depression in the abyss, do you know what God saw? What did He see? Potential. Potential. It's an amazing thing. So let me just say when you look at these people, right, just ordinary people, but let's just put some, and and these are just, these descriptions have nothing to do with who they are. I know none of these people. I just put this on. So we look at them here and we say we're okay, but now what if we see this guy as an adulterer? Now what do we think? Or maybe he's addicted to pornography or struggles with same-sex attraction. Or is a drug addict or abuses her children or is a prostitute. You see how we can look at that and say, well, gosh, there's no potential there. That's not how God sees them. He sees them with the same potential as you. Any thoughts on this before we go into this next part? God has given us eyes to see. And I can sit there and I can just judge and evaluate every one of you. And yet, what is God saying now? I want to know what's going on in your heart. Can you imagine, I mean, if, if you've been watching The Chosen, well, they sure picked a good guy to play Jesus, didn't they? I mean, I just feel he's so genuine. And he's coming up and he's always paying attention. And I think he's just thinking, Holy Spirit, what's their need? What's, the, what's their desire? What is it they're struggling with? Can we do the same thing? How would it change how you were looking at people if that's what you were thinking, Right? I, you know, I'm just sitting here and I'm thinking about Martha. What's going on in her heart? What's her need? What's the struggle? Lord, what do you want to do through me to minister to Martha? Didn't that change the whole perspective of sitting there thinking, I can't believe they're acting that way. I can't believe they look that way. I mean, what's the deal with the you know, earring and you know, all that, right? See? I just think it's easier to judge than love, don't you? Okay, you didn't want to answer that one. <clears throat> So how do you minister to people when they come into your six square feet? I think there's a whole misconception about ministry. Let me just share some of them with you. That Some people say ministry is only being involved in a specific ministry. Well, I'm not in that ministry. I'm in this ministry. Okay, Ministry is only something that we do. If we're not actively evangelizing, discipling, or helping someone, then we're not ministering. Now think about that for just a second. Ministry is only done at certain times. And then last, ministry is only done from our spiritual gifting. Well, I don't have the gift of evangelism, so I'm going to let the pastor evangelize. You know, I don't have the gift of discipleship, so I'm going to let Brian do that. Do you see how we can pigeonhole God? Let me tell you something. I believe that God can do anything through me at any time He wants. Okay? So if Neil just has a heart attack and... Goes south and dies on us. And God says, I'm going to raise him from the dead through you. You know what I'm going to say? I want to see that I'm all in. Jen, would you like to see that too? I just wanted to see if you wanted to bring him back. Well, just think about that for the next hour, and then we'll get back to you on that one. But guess what? Through me, can he raise him from the dead? I believe that. Well, if He can do that, can He do anything through me if I make myself available to Him? So the question is, are you a minister? Well, let me tell you what, there's a gift of being a pastor, a shepherd, a bondservant. But guess what? We're all called to be ministers. We're all called to be No, you don't need any Bible training. Besides, think about the 12... I mean, did you think about those guys? None of them were theologians. They were knuckleheads. Just crazy knuckleheads. They didn't know anything. And I mean, Peter was the chief knucklehead. And yet, what did God do? He he chose them. And I, I think that brings us to a point here that you contain the same power that raised Jesus from the dead when you go out, and so cannot the Holy Spirit through you transform somebody into Christ's likeness? Set somebody free, give a person victory, heal someone? I want you to think about this. In fact, they just showed this the other night. I think it was on uh, episode 3 or 4 where Jesus gets up in the synagogue. Uh, I thought that was really... Uh, how they did that was amazing because here's Jesus for the first time kind of proclaiming, proclaiming He's the Messiah. So when He gets up, of course, it's not Luke 4.18, it's Isaiah, but he, re- he opens the scroll and He reads, "...the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted." proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set free those who are oppressed. Can He not do the same thing? By the way, He lives in you right now. Can He not do those same things through you? Folks, we ought to let this sink into our soul. The power that raised Jesus from the dead. And if Jen gives me permission, I'm going to raise Neil from the dead. Okay. Do I get permission yet, Jen? Are we still letting him huh? What's that? Today only. Today only, okay. All right. So here's the question: Is God calling the capable or available? There you go. Thanks, Neil. He's only calling the available because who's capable? Well, we could say the pastor is right, Bible school, seminary, training, experience. Neil's not capable. He's trained, but that didn't make him capable. Are any of us capable, Brian? Not one of us is capable. But the one who is lives within us. Isn't that great? So all he's saying is, is, you know, Martha, are you available today? I want to do work through you. So guess what? Your part in growing out is to be constantly available for God's capability to work through you. Because let me tell you what, it's freed me in ministry. This is it, right here. I'm just a seed thrower. You see what I'm saying? I'm I'm throwing out seed yesterday and today. I'm just throwing it out. I don't know what kind of soil it is. I'm praying it's good soil. I just bragged on you guys to my friends in Texas. I think this is pretty doggone good soil. Well, I'm going to New Jersey sometime later this spring. I got a life pastor over there excited about seeing him Never. We've never met, though we've corresponded for two or three years. And he calls me up one day and he said, Bill, you know, uh, the Bible says the four kinds of soil, but in New Jersey we have a fifth one. And I said, what's that? And he said, concrete. The seeds bounce back at you. (laughs) Right? And so this is the beauty of it. I don't care what you do with it in one sense. Do you see what I'm saying? I'm just throwing the seed. I'm not responsible for you getting it. You know, I mean, God spoke through a rock, a bush, and a jackass. Remember that. I'm just the jackass of choice. So you can shoot the messenger if you want, but I'm just here throwing seed. Now, let me tell you a little story. It was I was in a church uh, near my hometown, New Bronvilles, and a pastor let me come in and preach. And uh, it was a couple hundred folks and uh, just preaching on the battle of the mind, but also talking about life in Christ. I mean, Sometimes people figure out I only have one message. You know, when they do, I've got to move on. That's why we're moving to Fredericksburg because everybody in Bernie's figured it out, Brian, that I only have one message. I just put it out in different ways. So I'm talking about the battle of the mind. But I'm talking about life in Christ. And the guy on the back row, the more I talk, every word was like fingernails down a chalkboard. This guy was getting... He was like he was in a, he was in a straight jacket and he couldn't get out. I mean, he, just, he was agitated. I've never seen somebody that agitated. So at the end of the service, I prayed. And when I looked up, he was gone. Now, there's a self-righteous part of Bill. And that little self-righteous part wants to come up and say, God's going to get that boy. Right? And I was just about to go there. And the Holy Spirit said, Bill, don't go there. And from that podium to that chair, this is what the Spirit revealed to me. He says, Bill, I've just made an irrevocable non-refundable deposit in his heart. He can reject you, but the seed has been planted. Now it's going to be the sand and the oyster of his soul. So how does that apply to you? You shouldn't have shown up today. You really made a big mistake in showing up. Because let me tell you what, those deposits are being made and you can reject it. But it's there. And the Holy Spirit is going to let that be the, the sand and the oyster of our souls. But do you see how freeing that is? He's not responsible for you getting anything. I just want to be a happy seed thrower. Because let me tell you what God has persuaded me is that it is an incredible privilege to be here today, to participate with Him, for Him to build His church through me. It's a privilege. I know any old bush will do, as Ian Thomas said in one of his books. Any old bush will do. But He loves me enough. He brought me here today to love you and to throw seed. And I know God's working. I'm just absolutely convinced. He's just sitting here right now. He's just taking that seed and He's working in each one of your hearts. But you see, all I've got to do is this. Now what if that applies to you and your six square feet? People that you come in contact with. What difference does it make if they love you, hate you, embrace you, or walk away from you? I don't care. Because guess what? The deposit has been made. Amen? God, that that just gets me kind of excited. So how did Jesus minister? Exactly the same way you and I are going to. Because let me tell you what, it was one at a time. He was focused on them. And just one at a time. That's what I love about Jesus. And we're going to talk about a few more characteristics here in just a minute. But there's another form of ministry that doing flows out of being. What do I mean by that? If I just sat up here, in fact, I was was tempted to do that one Sunday in a church. I'm just going to stand up here, and you're going to expect me to give a message, and I'm just going to stand there. And I'm going to be praying one thing, Lord, love Him through me. Do whatever you want to right now through me. Does God really need me speaking, folks? Does He? Come on. He doesn't need me saying a word. Can't He accomplish in your heart exactly what He wants to accomplish without me ever uttering a word? So if Neil gets up one Sunday and just looks at you, it's okay. Because he's just praying, Lord, do this work. I'm going to let you off the hook on a Sunday. you know. So just love Him through me. You see we become part of the fragrant aroma of Christ. In other words, I I walk into a restaurant, and if I'm waiting on somebody, I just sit there and I say, Lord, would you flood this restaurant with your love through me? Could could you just, whoever is our server today, I tell you what, I'm going to be so focused on him or her, would you love them through me? And I'm telling you, I, servers, I love servers. Man, I, can, yeah, I just love kind of connecting with them and finding out the point of reference. Some points I get to share the gospel. Sometimes I'm just expressing. Do you understand? Our greatest ministry is expression. If you don't feel the love, what good does it make for me to talk about it? So think about this. The doing flows out of being. So when you engage someone one-on-one, Somebody engages you, all right? You know what they're looking for? First of all, they're looking for a listener, especially if they're hurting. Are you willing to listen? Now, I'm a talker, and you talkers know who you are. And so the point being is, God has had to make a listener out of me. And, and let me tell you how He did it one time. I, uh, I was, uh, there was a pastor in San Antonio, and this guy calls me up, and he's frantic, and he says, Hey, I only got 40 minutes. Can you come over and and we need to wrestle through some th- something. I'm really struggling. I said, sure, I'll do that. So I go over there and I sit in front of him. And for the next three hours, I say nothing. He's doing all the talking. Three hours. I thought we only had 40 minutes. You know what I could have done, guys? I could have put a cardboard cut out of myself and left after the first 10. Because let me tell you what he was doing. He and the Holy Spirit were processing I was just a face for him to do it in front of. And you know what he said when we got through? Golly, Bill, that was, thank you for being so encouraging. Boy, that was great. Thank you. When I just said goodbye and that was it. And that, that's right. That's right. Exactly. So, do you see? All I had to do was listen for him and the Spirit to process out loud. How about this one? Y'all don't um, know Max Lucado. In fact, the church I'm going to was an original satellite of that. But Jim Elliott, everybody remember Jim Elliott, the missionary that was killed in Ecuador? Here's his famous phrase that says, wherever you are, be all there. Wherever you are, be all there. If if you're going to come up to me, I want to focus on you. I want to be all there. Well, the reason I show Max's face is because um, I was going to substitute uh, teach for a Sunday school class there. And, uh, you know, it's only got three or 4,000 people, and it's a huge mega church. And, uh, and so they have this huge hallway. It's, it's really this hallway is, is the size of this church, this hallway. And so we're in the worship center with my friends, because he's going to lead me to the classroom, because I hadn't been to the church before. And so we come out of the worship center, we go into this hall, and can you imagine a room like this, totally packed, with people, could barely move. And I'm following this guy because if I lose him, I'm never going to find my classroom, right? So I'm following him. All of a sudden, he does this. And against the wall over there is Max Lucado standing by himself. And so my friend brings Paige and I over there, introduces us to Max. And for the next three minutes, Max is so focused on us, it's as if there's nobody else in the room. I felt like that must be what it must be like in front of Jesus. And very interactive. And and you know, so many people are looking over the shoulder, who's more important than you are? Never did that. He could have cared less if there was anybody else in the room. Would you say he was all there? You see, that's what I'm learning now. When you're talking to me and you're coming, I want to be all there for you. Be all there. That's another characteristic. How about this one? Being safe. I'm telling you what, we are in desperate need of safe people. And look at this, somebody that's trustworthy, somebody that's loving, empathetic, compassionate. We all Because here's the thing, our go-to person is God, right? But sometimes don't we need somebody like, like Jesus with skin on? Like, you know, I'll call Neil and say, hey, I'm struggling with this. Well, can I trust the Spirit of God through Neil to speak to me? Well, I am because I'm going to Him because I believe He's safe. But Don't you want to be a safe person? So here are just some examples of that. Is that you're compassionate and empathetic that when I'm sharing a deep personal struggle with you, that's what I'm going to receive. And you're not trying to fix me or necessarily solve whatever it is I'm struggling with unless led by the Spirit. You won't guilt, shame, or condemn me. You won't be critical, judgmental, or condescending. In other words, this is a safe person, but let me tell you the safest person is the one who's loved. Because my wife always tells me, whenever I go... Someplace when love is felt, the message is heard. Because you know what our greatest calling is as ministers? is to be lovers. We see this. There are only two commandments, aren't there? Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor as yourself. So our greatest calling is to be lovers. He says it in John 13, 34. This new commandment that you love one another. Galatians five fourteen. Love your neighbor as yourself. So what's God's value of love? We see this in 1 Corinthians 13, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over to my body to the hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I have nothing. What's God's priority? Look at this, 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Love never fails. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest is what? Now you can disagree with me, but do you know what I believe? I believe all the fruit of the Spirit flow out of love. When he says the fruit of the Spirit is love, I believe the fruit of the Spirit all flows from love. Think about that for just a second, right? So what what did God do to qualify us to be lovers? Well, first of all, He put His life in us to be the source, to love others, right? Colossians 2, 9 and 10, we have the fullness, in other words, your container of all His love, right? And as a container, you possess all of Christ's love, and guess what? And are possessed by His love. And not only this, you are a partaker of God's love. In 2 Peter 1.4, it talks about we're partakers of the divine nature. Well, if that is who God is, are we not lovers? And you've been learning, I'm sure, in your new identity, that as a new creation, you're an unconditional lover. If you don't know Dallas Willard, I want you to look him up on a video. It's amazing. He's a Californian, or he was teaching... What, what school was it? Um, I can't remember what school. USC philosophy, but he said, it's not about coming to the unlovable and trying to love them. Rather, come to them as a loving person. Even God doesn't just love. He is love. It is His identity. <clears throat> so what kind of a love are we talking about? Well, we're talking about this love that's immeasurable, incomparable. It's the divine love that comes from God. It's perfect, unconditional, sacrificial, and selfless. Love is humble and selfless. Second Timothy 1.7, it says, For God does not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and love. Sorry about this next slide, but the love penetrates the heart, softens the heart, heals the heart, and transforms the heart. Look at what love can do. It can disarm others and make them open and transparent. It can bring a person to brokenness. It can draw an unbeliever to salvation. And it can also move people to love you. And do y'all know what porcupines, porcupines are? Y'all, have porcupines in California. Okay, this is your unlovable people. This is your visual. But you know what? You can even love them with the agape love of Christ. I don't have time to share this story, but love is the key to unlock a person's heart. But here's the one thing: may you never forget about love. Love is unstoppable. One of my board members always calls me up and he says this, I love you and there's nothing you can do about it. Don't you love it? And guess what? That's how I feel about you today. I just love you and you can't do anything about it. You can't stop me from loving you. And I don't care how bad you've been. I don't care about how your sin is. I don't care. Because I simply love you. It's unstoppable. How would that change evangelical America if we just all became lovers? Well, you're a dispenser, right? He says in Romans 5.5, and hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts. So what kind of dispenser are you? Are you one of these eyedroppers? You know, let me give you a drop of love over here, another drop of love here. Can I give you a visual of the kind of lover I want to be when I grow up? I want to be a spiritual fire hydrant. <clears throat> I want to wash you off the sidewalk with his blood. You like that one? Come on. Don't you want to be a fire hydrant? How many want to be fire hydrants? Not that many. Okay, I'm coming back. We're going to talk about this again. What's that? <laughs> oh, gosh, we've got to help you. Okay, so. But look at this, not only this, each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow. Remember, we saw this yesterday. So the whole body is healthy and fully and growing full of love. As we allow Christ to do this work in us and through us, are we going to become unified as the body of Christ? Are we going to walk in the oneness of the Spirit? Are we going to be Christ to others? The answer is yes. Do you see This love is the glue that holds everything together. It's all that I'm called to do. It's all that I'm called to be. So here's the challenge. When it comes to your six square feet and what God wants to do through you, here's the question. If not you, who? If not now, when? If not you, who? We're just going to let the pastor do all the work? and he gets all the fun and... Then God gets the glory through him. You see, everyone who comes into your six square feet is a divine appointment. Do you want to miss out on that? Do you want to miss out? What if God wanted to set a captive free? What if He he wanted to express and and you be a fire hydrant so this person is washed with the love of Jesus? If I look at every encounter as a divine encounter, I live with a life of anticipation. I'm just looking. Are you the one? Are, are you the one? Are, are you the one? Oh Lord, would you love them through me? What do you want to do through me today? How would it change how you look at life? How would it change how you look at strangers? Perfect strangers you don't even know. Maybe those even closest to you. Because this is the visual I want. I want us to be a part of an incredible army. And this is what I want. I'm going to defend my six square feet Will you get in front of me and behind me and left and right. And what if we're just called to just conquer and defend our own six square feet? What do you think we'll conquer? Evil? Unbelief? Darkness? My friends, we've got to look at ourselves as an army. Six square feet, that's all it is. Are you available? Are you willing? Because my friends, you only have this moment. And if you don't know what carpe diem means, it says seize the day. Colossians 4-5 puts it this way, conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. So I'm going to end with this. Isaiah 6-8. When God calls you, when you go out of these doors, because right now, you're my six square feet. By the way, right, y'all are six square feet to each other as well. Maybe today somebody needs to hear a word through you. Maybe it's a word of hope. Who used that word yesterday? Somebody used that word yesterday about hope. They like the word hope. What's that? Oh, your mom. Okay, your mom. I thought it was your mom. You see, what about a word of hope? I mean, that was something her mom heard, You know that she was that word of hope. What if it's a word of encouragement? And so just think about this. When the question is asked, here am I, send me. Are you going to be the one? Are you going to be that lazy boy Christian who just kind of gets back in his lady boy? I call them settlers. Why, we're just going to settle back in and just let the world go by. My friends, there is a battle There are casualties and there are conquerors. And if you're not available, you're a casualty. But if you're available and you say, Lord, here I am, do this work through me, then He conquers through you. And guess what happens? Evil is conquered. Lies are conquered. Darkness is conquered. Death is conquered. So are we willing to say, Lord, send me, here am I. Father, just thank You that we we can't even fathom that You would want to use us. Because Lord, we just tend to either overestimate or underestimate ourselves and yet the reality is we're masterpieces in Your eyes. It's only because of You. It's because of what You've done. And so Lord, I'm praying, break down every wall, every hindrance to being available to You. Because all You want are seed throwers. You'd like happy seed throwers because You're the one that's responsible for what happens. We just get the joy and the awesome privilege of being used by You. So Lord, would You work deep in our hearts, persuade us that You're going to build Your church. And as You tell me every morning, Bill, I'm either going to do it through you or in spite of you. Your choice. My friends, let's make ourselves available for Him to do this incredibly supernatural work through us. Because Lord, we know if we do, the captives will be set free. The blind will see, and the brokenhearted will be healed. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.